The following audio session was recorded live at the 2017 Region 2 Convention in Costa Mesa, California. Please visit oar2.org for information about the 2018 convention in Sacramento and to get links for more convention recordings. Thank you for listening. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Bouncing Back Relapse Workshop. My name is Annie, and I am a compulsive overeater bulimic, and your moderator... Hi. And and your moderator for this workshop. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Before we begin, we ask that all cell phones or other electronic equipment be turned off. Even if you think it's off, please check again. The opinions expressed here today are those of individuals OA me- those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. Uh, OA members are remind- reminded when sharing to speak to your recovery in the program of Overeaters Anonymous. To protect, I'm just going to bring this over here. To protect our anonymity, no photography, audio, or visual recorded recording is allowed. If there is press in the room, please do not take any unauthorized pictures or identify anyone using their full name. There will be audio recordings of this workshop, which you may order outside in the foyer. The workshop will have speakers followed, followed by an ask it basket question. The topic for this session is, hold on. Bouncing back from recovery. I, did I get it wrong? Excuse me. That's recorded, too. I'm not nervous. Backing, bouncing back from relapse. Let me switch over here. Great. <laughs> um, let's welcome Cindy W. W. as our first speaker. Cindy. I'm Cindy. I'm a compulsory reader. Hi. And um, thank you so much for being here. I'm so grateful to be here. This is a um, topic that is very near and dear to my heart, and I will share why. And here are my uh, pictures. So um, I've been in this program. Well, technically, I went to my very first meeting when I was 12 years old. And I was pretty much forced into it, so I didn't really count that because at 12 years old, I was not emotionally ready to even understand what any of you were talking about. Um, I hear people talk about how when they first came in here, it was like we were all crazies and we were like a cult. Imagine that at 12. So that's all I have to say (laughs) about that. But the seed had been planted, and I came back when I was ready. Um, So the second time I came back and stayed, it was 17 years ago, over 17 years ago. And one week from today, God willing and me willing, I will have four years of abstinence. And so sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly and very slowly. And some of us, you know, it takes what it takes. And I'm grateful for 
where I've come from and where I've been, and I know where I'm going because of this program. And I came in this program weighing 479 pounds, and I couldn't walk, I couldn't breathe, I couldn't, you know, I had heart palpitations, high blood pressure, diabetes. Um, I, when I was pregnant, I got pregnant unexpectedly, and um, instead of it being like this amazing moment, uh, my doctor was like, you know, all these horrible things could happen to you and your baby, and like, do you want to get rid of it? And I was a married woman. I wasn't, you know, a knocked-up 14-year-old, which is how I felt. And I went out of that appointment crying, you know, sobbing my eyes out because this disease had taken from me that moment. And it's stolen many, many moments from my life. Um, I grew up um, in a household with decent parents. I mean, we had our moments. My dad was kind of an absent father, and... My mom did the best that she could with what she had. You know, we do the best we can with what we have. When we know better, we do better. And I know that today. There wasn't anything really horrible that happened to me in my life that I know of. You know, I wasn't horribly abused. But at a very, very young age, I learned that food fixed everything. You know, and uh, my sister, my older sister was out of control with boys and drinking and all that normal teenage stuff. And I was with my mom, you know, with donuts and fudgesicles and pizza. And that was my moment. And that was, you know, she was my best friend and food was my best friend. And I believe that I was born into this disease. I've always felt that just because there is no, I do not have a memory that doesn't involve food. Literally, like from the very first time I could remember even breathing, food was at the very center of my being. And even even things that I don't even remember, I just remember people telling me them, like my mom telling me stories about how when I was a baby, and I mean a baby, I would scream and cry if she didn't give me more food. And she would, you know, as a young kid, she would offer me money, and I would just want food. And then I learned I could take the money and buy food with the money. And then, you know, and then, you know, when I also was born into um, a very, um, like, there was a lot of mixed emotions with food. It was like my grandparents were constantly giving me food. And we would go to Sunday dinners, and they would always be like, you know, here, have mine, have mine, after I ate a huge meal. And take my dessert, and then... And then they would, like, corner me and be like, you just need to eat more yogurt. And then that's how you can lose weight. And here's the treadmill and get on it. And let's go to Chuck E. Cheese and then we'll walk home, you know. Like, everyone was trying to, like, do all this stuff and then feed me. So I didn't understand, you know, as a young child. And then my mom was constantly trying to put me on diets, taking me to support groups and self-esteem classes and dietitians and then bringing home apple pie. Like, it didn't, I just didn't get it. And, um, and I remember being really young, about 10 or 11. And by the way, my ages as, like, as a child, everything is in pounds. So, like, my memories are like, yeah, I was 225 pounds when I was 11. I was 440 pounds when I was 15. I, you know, that's how I relate to the world. And I remember going to a, a dietitian, and she would tell us these bizarre stories about how, like, oh, if she wanted cookies, you know, she would tell herself, well, I'm going to go 
ride my bike to the grocery store and then get the cookies. And then I can, like, do the exercise to, you know, deserve the cookies. And in my little, like, 11-year-old mind already, I was like, what are you talking about? Oh, yeah, then the best part is she would get there. By the time she rode her bike, she didn't want the cookies anymore. And being 11 years old, I thought to myself, if I rode my bike to get cookies, like, I would need two boxes. I would need one box, like, just for all the effort, and then one box on the ride home. And that's, like, that was my mind, you know, starting at a very young age. And food was always the main focus. I was I was very abused in school, but nothing happened to me to make me a compulsive eater. It was more like... Because I was a compulsive eater, that's how the that's where the bad things came from. You know, I was abused a lot in school, and I was taken out of school when I was in seventh grade. And these two ladies told me you had to either go to an Overeaters Anonymous meeting or you would have to go back to public school. And I hated them so much, and to this day, they probably saved my life. And um, so fast forward, you know, I came in this program, my very first meeting, besides that one time when I was 12, it was a very, very dark meeting, and everything was about death and dying, and everyone told these horrible stories, and a normal per- and this is how I know I belong in this program, because I'm very strange, like, I'm a very strange person, like we all are, you know, I come in these rooms and I hear, like, these odd things that would normally scare people away, and I just feel like, oh my god, I'm so in love with you guys, like, no matter where I'm at, and that makes me weird, right, so, like, they were just telling these horrible stories, and I was like, oh my god, these people are my peeps, man, this is, like, awesome, and it was so much that, Someone actually followed me out of the meeting and was like, please come back. It's not all like this. Because a normal person would have probably been scared off. But me, I gravitate toward that weirdness. And um, so I just knew that this place was for me. And, I, and there was a woman there, too. And we were newcomers, and we sat together. And I never saw her again. And I still remember her name. You know, and I don't know why some people get this and some people don't. But I'm really grateful that I stayed. And it kind of makes me want to cry. But, um, so I never stopped coming back and I knew there was something special here that I'd never found anywhere else because I lost weight immediately. And I've never been a, I've never ever been someone to lose weight. I know there's a lot of people in here who just couldn't keep it off and I could never lose it. So to this day, I believe that my higher power truly had me lose weight immediately. I got abstinent immediately. I thought I was on a diet, you know, when I first came in here. And I was having chest pains and heart palpitations. And, you know, I was at a very young age, I really thought I was going to die. My my chest used to pound really, really loudly. And, I, you know, in the big book, it talks about our life is the only normal one. And that's how it was for me. Like, someone actually had to tell me, really, like, I don't hear my chest. And and I was like, well, sometimes I can't sleep it so loud. And it took someone telling me that they didn't experience that for me to realize that wasn't normal, you know, because that's what I knew. Just like, you know, it, eating was normal. I was never these, I was never one of these people that like hid and went to drive throughs and ordered all the drinks to you know and said oh you know what did they want again I would just go up and order the crap I didn't care and I I was never like a closet eater I actually loved to eat with people I would just find people who loved to eat and then I didn't look so weird 
Um, so, so I never stopped coming back, and I, so I lost 130, about 130 pounds immediately, and then I proceeded to just relapse over and over and over again for what seemed like forever, and, and I never left, you know, that was the biggest gift that I've ever given myself, is I, I never stopped coming back, you know, and someone like me, you know, I'm a, I'm a really, really low-bottom compulsory eater. I, I really think that I was born into this disease, and and everything, my life revolved around this food. And today I have so much freedom that it's just it's just amazing. Sometimes I share my story, and I feel like I'm dreaming. It's, like, surreal, you know. It doesn't feel like I ever lived the life that I did because I've been living this life for so long. But at the time, that life was the only one that I knew about. And so many things, it's so hard to, like, you know, share my whole life in 20 minutes. But um, there are so many things that have happened in my life and so many miracles that I've gotten out of this program, way beyond the food, way beyond the weight loss. Um, I was in um, an abusive relationship with a man and one that I didn't even know was abusive until I got out of it and experienced a real relationship that was healthy. Because again, you know, I don't know what normal is unless I experience, you know, I don't, there's no way to experience joy without sadness. There's no way to experience a healthy relationship without an unhealthy one because how would I know the difference? Just at least someone like me. And, um, and me and my daughter, um, we were, homeless and I could not stop going back to my husband because um, I was addicted just like I was addicted with the food you know I don't know what a what a stable life looks like to me everything is either horribly down or wonderfully up like there's no in between and today I live in the in between and sometimes it feels extremely boring you know I don't know I'm always like the roller coaster and um I've been in homeless shelters. I've slept in my car. Um, I've lost jobs, partly because of the disease. Because I, you know, I couldn't. Um, I couldn't hold down a job. I, I didn't do anything horrible at my job, but I've been fired from jobs because I was so focused on the food that, you know, I I I didn't know um, what else to do. Everything was the food and and. It's kind of hard to like focus on your job when like your your hands are all sticky, you know. But um, so I've been here for a really long time, and I never stopped coming back. And and um, I don't really know what happened between you know all those years that I went up and down. Other than I decided four years ago that I was gonna kind of put myself right in the herd and in, in the middle of everybody, and no longer be someone that just sat in the corner and just looked down because that's who I am too. So I've maintained a weight loss of about 230 pounds and that is, uh, or over 230 pounds and that, thank you. That is like, that is such an incredible miracle that I often forget, but there's so many miracles that are even bigger than that. You know, I have a job today, an amazing job that I love. I go to work and I help other people. I have a really good relationship with my teenage daughter (laughs) who also has special needs. And I have a partner today and a life partner that's in this program as well. And together we get to have an amazing relationship, you know. 
and and I have I have you know a decent I can make a living today. You know it talks about in the big book how we couldn't make a living and we couldn't be of usefulness to other people. And today I'm useful to other people. I'm useful to my family. I have sponsees. I have so much in my life. I have such a full life that at times it feels overwhelming. And like what what a Cadillac problem. I mean I'm sitting there. I'm at the boutique yesterday and I'm just like oh, my God, everything is too big for me. Like, oh, poor me, you know? I remember going into a store called Sizes Unlimited, and it wasn't, trust me, <laughs> because it wasn't. And that was, like, not even at my top weight. Um, and, gosh, there's just me and food. I have this relationship with food. I am a a low bottom in the gutter compulsive overeater you know and it it amazes me how people could like eat like half a cookie and just act like it's no big deal you know if i ate half a cookie i would spend my my entire day even if i didn't eat that cookie obsessing about how i was going to eat that cookie why aren't you eating your cookie maybe i can have your cookie and how I can get into the office without anyone seeing me steal all the cookies. Like, that would be my life, you know. And today, I have so much freedom from this. Thank you. I have so much freedom from this disease. I can go anywhere. Like, you know, I have a teenage daughter. She likes sugar, and she likes junk food. And I can take her out, and I can sit in a donut shop, and it does nothing for me. You know, that is, like, true freedom to me. Um, And I spent years in this program thinking it was all about the food, and it is not about the food. When you're in the food, it's all about the food. But once you get out of the food, it's about a whole list of other things, you know. And it's food was never my problem. Food was my solution to everything. Happy, sad, depressed, joyful, whatever it is, you know. And, And today I get you know, solutions from so many other things. I have a higher power that takes care of me. I have friends. I have family. I have, you know, people in this program that just show me so much love and so much understanding. And I have an amazing sponsor that I love dearly. And, you know, sometimes it's, sometimes it's like I think in the the same part of me thinks I need to wake up every day of my life, get on my knees, and thank God from the bottom of my heart that I have this amazing life. That's the sane part of me. And then the regular part of me, which is much bigger, is like, is this all there is to life? And it's like, because my life is so you know neutral so much of the time, and I don't know how to deal with that. Like, I'm all about the ups and downs. And even if it's really bad downs, there means there's there's an up somewhere. You know, even for some strange reason, even, like, awful, awful things happening, it's this weird, like, like addict excitement in my life. And now it's like, there's nothing amazing. There's nothing horrible. It's just like level and I'm bored to death. You know, that's like, and that's just the truth. But that's when I get to rework the steps for the 10 millionth time. That's when I get to call my sponsor. And that's when I get to share with all of you. And um, last night people were talking about miracles so much and, I looked up the definition of miracle last night. 
a surprising and welcome event that is not explicable by natural or scientific laws, a highly improbable or extraordinary event, an amazing product or achievement, an outstanding example of something. Um, and it's just, I am, I am truly a miracle in this program, and we are miracles in this program, you know. Me being absent today, I seriously, you guys, this might sound funny, but I could not walk, like, to this parking lot without overeating. And today, I can walk anywhere without overeating. That is an extraordinary event, you know? I don't care what anybody says. Like, you guys get it. And I, I come from a family, too, where I'm always, I'm the black sheep. Everywhere I go, I'm the black sheep. I'm a compulsory eater. I'm really heavy. I'm, like... I'm in a relationship with a woman. Like, everything that is a part of me is different. I walk in here. I can be at a family event, and I'm, like, the odd man out. I walk in here. It doesn't matter who you are, where you came from, where you're going. Like, I'm you. I'm one of you. I'm, like, your family. You're my family. I love everybody in these rooms, you know. I feel closer to you guys, and some of you I've never seen before, than I do my own family. And that is such a gift. And not everyone understands that, like, you know, I went to breakfast today and I shared a meal with someone. That is an extraordinary event. (laughs) That is an extraordinary event. Um, You know, I went to bed last night without being hungover from food and my head pounding and my heart pounding. and, And I woke up this morning, like, glad to be alive and glad to be here and glad to be able to... Another thing, too, is that I used to sit here and literally have my head down. Nobody knew me. I hated meetings at first. Well, certain ones, I'm like, I never get anything out of that meeting. I go to it, like, six months later, and I share at it, and I'm like, that is an amazing meeting. Because it's all about me changing from the inside out. And to be able to come up here and share my story and talk in front of people is, like, absolutely amazing. You guys don't even know. That's an extraordinary event. I'm going to use that that phrase a lot now, now that I know what it means. Um, I mean, that's like an amazing thing. You know, I couldn't even say my name when I got here. Like, I would not even take chips because I was too terrified to say my name is Cindy and I'm a compulsory eater. And a couple, a few years ago, I, I um, took on the uh, 12 Step Within chair and I didn't even know what that meant. I didn't know that it meant that I was going to be putting on events all over Orange County. Thank you. And, but I did. I did it. I wanted to be of service. And it completely changed my entire world, you know, just to be of service to people, to bring hope to other people, you know. And that's what this meeting is all about, relapse, you know, bringing people hope. And we're all here, and we all have hope today because of this program. So thank you all for being part of my journey. I'm going to pass around the ask it basket because I didn't do that before and I don't have a pen in it. Here's one. So thank you for letting me. I guess I'm next. Oh, here. Oops. Our second speaker, I guess, is me. Hi again. My name is Annie. I am a compulsive overeater bulimic. Okay, so I wanted to start off by saying I have a really bad memory. 
Recovery is an adventure of a lifetime, and it begins the moment we ask for help. And I, let's see, I came in, I try not to cry, I came in almost 28 years ago. I was 22 years old. I, um, I'm from a family, basically my mother left India with me in her belly, did not know I was in her belly, brought my, uh, my brother who was eight years old and was going to leave my father who was an alcoholic came to the United States under the pretense that she was going to start a new life, but her sister who sponsored her indicated, oh, you're going to be here helping me as my maid. Um, My mama, God bless my mother's soul, said, nope, I'm pregnant. I'm going to start a new life here. My aunt said to her, "Uh uh-uh, you've got to bring your husband here because that will look really bad. It will look like my husband impregnated you. So my mom ended up sponsoring my dad and bringing him here. Um, And, you know, my mom... She, she got a job, went to, back to school, and um, became a teacher. And I remember being three years old, and my mommy – so I'm going to backtrack and say, you know that's not a really good start, right? <laughs> my mom's here. My dad's an alcoholic. God bless his soul. Um, and they got this little apartment, and, you know, it, he was in and out. I never remembered having a daddy. Um, I did not have a dad. My dad was, and he was a servant to alcohol, absolutely 100%. My mother was a servant to my dad, period. That's how I grew up. I grew up with a lot of fear, a lot of shame, and a lot of guilt. Um, and in our family, from our family, we're very, and I'll, I'll include me too, we're very elitist. You have to be fair-skinned, beautiful, go to the best schools, and earn a lot of money. Then you're okay. I grew up with guilt, shame, and fear constantly because that's, you know, I felt guilty for existing. My father was never around. I had a lot of fear because there was no one to protect us. We were going from house to house to house in the middle of the night because my dad would knock on the door, my mom would leave, and it was very chaotic. I do not know. I would have, I should have been, you know, my mom should have been called, CPS should have been called on my mama. God bless her soul, she didn't know any different. My dad didn't know any different. Um, they divorced. But when I, I'll go back into the food. Oh, and I'll, I'll backtrack and say that um, my, I grew up with my cousins, and my cousins were, I'm better than you, because look where I come from. I, I have a daddy, I have a mommy, and you, you're ugly, and you're stupid constantly would say that to me, one cousin in particular. And I never, I just accepted it. Now, my mother never said that to me. God knows, my daddy loved me. He never said that to me. He didn't, he didn't say much to me, actually. And my brother was just trying to survive because he was the man of the house. Um, needless to say, my brother, <laughs> he turned to alcohol. So um, I say that because when I was first asked to uh, speak here, I thought, they must not have any speakers. Why would they pick me? You know, and I honestly thought that. Um, and then I, that's my disease talking. The other part of me said, but you have 28 years in program, Annie. You have something to offer regardless. Then the other thought, because I was going to say no. Then the other thought said, you can't say no. You never say no to, to service. So that's my base is, I grew up in a very alcoholic home, very chaotic, as I said. The, the Brea police knew us very intimately because they were called out a lot. Um, but I grew up and, you know, my first 
memory of, of overeating absolutely was at Nana, Nana, my Nana's house. She was a babysitter, and she had these jars, these tin jars. You remember it vividly of these Doritos and cookies, and I don't know what the other one was. But I would go in, go play with my little cousin, who called me dumb, ugly, and stupid. Um, and I would eat the, the, the food, and I'd go back and play. And, and you know, when you're a little girl, and I deal with this with my daughter, there's, you're, you're not either included, or you didn't win the game, or you can't climb up the tree. So I would feel awful about myself, and I'd go back and run and get the food and eat. Thank God for that food. It saved me. Um, and I remember my mama left to India, and she said, I can't take you, and I felt abandoned, and I stayed with my Nana Ella, and I, my mom bought me this big Wrigley's. She took me to the store and said, you can have it, whatever you want. I picked out this gum, and I ate that gum within one hour of my mom being gone. My mother was the love of my life. She still is the love of my life. And so for my mommy to leave, fear in my body. Um, and my dad wasn't taking care of me. He was God knows where. And I was staying with this Nana. I mean, he was a babysitter, really. And... Um, so anyway, that was that was my base of, of uh, I knew I was a, I knew I didn't know anything was wrong with me. I was just trying to survive. So when I hit my te- like junior high age, of course, I had I hated shopping. Oh God, I hated it because I had to get these the plus sizes, and um, and my mom got she would look at me with this sorrow look in her eyes, and I I was such a struggle. But you know, we, so that was that was when I started to feel different. I felt still the fear, shame, and the ugly, but I started to feel different from my cousin, who was bone thin. Um, so in junior high, I started, to, I, I, I started to lose weight because I went on, oh, no, 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 excuse me. My mama put me on a diet, and she took me to the doctor, an Indian family doctor, and he gave me diet pills, nine years old. So I took the diet pills, and then I would steal my mama's diet pills, and then I would be, I felt special because I was getting attention from my mom. I took it away from my dad, and I got it. So I was, um, I did the diet pills. I lost weight. I don't even know how much weight I lost, but I had a cyst on my ovary, and I never forget, and I was, I was dieting. I was riding my bike, and one day I just had a horrible tummy pain. My brother got yelled. My brother used to hit me a lot. Sorry, but he used to hit me a lot, beat the crap out of me at times. And I, it, he's nine years older than me. And, but that cyst on my ovary, my brother took me to the hospital. And in the hospital, I noticed I was a little thinner because they weighed me. And then I thought, ooh, I lost more weight in the hospital. And I thought, ooh, this is the ticket. Be in the hospital, you lose weight. Um, and then my goal from then on was just to be 90 pounds. If I could be 90 pounds this guy would like me. almost said his name. This guy would like me. And I had the biggest crush on him. And to tell you, I had the crush on this boy till after college. Um, that's a whole other story. Um, anyway, he would like me. And if I could just do it, if I could just do it. So I constantly dieted, constantly dieted. And then one day, um, oh, I would take all sorts of pills. Uh, one day I said, Mommy, I want to join, I want to do carnation. Now, at this time, I was normal weight. My mother said, Are you crazy? I did it anyway because I got one my way at carnation diets. And then I did that, didn't work. I did the Weight Watchers, that didn't work. It worked. I became a lifetime member. I would like to tell you, I was about 120 pounds. I was not overweight. I, I lost 10 pounds. I became a lifetime member of Weight Watchers. Um, that's when I discovered I would restrict, and that's when I discovered bulimia. I, I think I was with a friend, and we both did it in the bathroom, and it took off. So in high school, I, it, of course, I dated this guy, and that was 
he became my crutch. My dad wasn't there, so he was there, so he became my crutch. And I definitely held on to the food, and I held on to the, the, um, the, the bulimia. The bulimia was, I, I got, I, basically, I got my food, I got to eat my food, and then I got rid of it. How awesome is that? And then um, I told my mother one day, because the, the bulimia was getting really bad, I said, I need to go to the hospital because um, I have bulimia. And my mother said, you just ruined my evening. I cannot believe you did that. She probably went off and said something else. I get it now. My mom didn't know what to say to me. She already had my dad to deal with, my brother, God knows, to deal with, and then she had now me. Um, I got my way because, you know, I called the insurance company on my own. I got myself in the hospital, and it didn't fix me. The only thing that hospital program ever gave me was this book. And at 22 years old, I got this book, and I looked at it, and I thought, my dad needs this. Because, um, you know, and at the hospital time then, I was bulimic, and I was separated from compulsive overeaters and back in the 80s. So it gave me this book. They gave me a couple of other, like, Al-Anon books, and I kept those books, and I still have them. Um, so I they was introduced to the 12-step program and psych meds. And then I was abstinent for six months. I was rest- I, I held on, like I... My, with, by the mere knuckles, okay, I could do it, I could do it. Relapsed, told my mommy, I need to go to the hospital again. Oh, in that time I said, by the way, I need to leave the house, you're going to pay for me, I'm moving to here, and you're going to pay for everything. And because I felt indicative, I felt, no, 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 you've ruined my life, it is all your fault that I am this way. I kept pointing the finger at my mother. Never my dad, oh, probably did my dad, but, um, and my mom did it. <laughs> she, I moved out, moved to Placentia, went to college, and um, uh, went to college, worked, and my mom paid for my rent and my, <laughs> my car, went to the hospital program again. And at that hospital program, thank you, God, that hospital program, the doctor said, he was an Indian doctor, and my mom really liked that. He said to my mother, after two weeks, they wanted to release me because insurance wouldn't cover it. And he said to my mom, he said, let me back up. I said, you're going to refinance this house and keep me in here for another 60 days. Because I thought that was the solution. And my mom didn't know what to do when the doctor said, no, she's fine. Just let her do outpatient, whatever. And, you know, I, I, I tell you this story because I really did think that doctors would help me, that pills would help me, that, um, that the, um, like, programs would help me. Guys, ooh, men, money, and food for me. Guys would help me. I really did, and, and I, I'm so grateful that day outside that hospital, my mother said no to me, finally said no to me, um, and I had to turn to OA, and I remember being in the hospital and walking to OA meetings in Yerba Linda, and I met these, I met a lot of fabulous women that were bigger than me, some were smaller than me, they were definitely not my age, I was 21, 22 years old, and I, and they would, I remember this one lady looking at me saying, why are you here, and I and I just remembered looking at her once I was, felt rejected. Well, what do you mean why I'm here? I'm, I have a problem. Um, and so I, I went to those meetings. I got into UCI. I went to UCI. And, was, and I, I never left the meeting, but I was never in, like, I never really clicked in. I got a sponsor, but I never really worked the steps. That's one thing I never did. So I kept relapsing. I kept be, kept sitting in my disease and trying to blame my mom, trying to blame the school, trying to blame this guy, trying to, like, if it, and I kept thinking, if I could only be thin, everything would be perfect. And so what happened was I, 
I went to UCI and I went to this Tuesday night meeting, a bulimic meeting, and I got my, I found the sponsor because they say look for what you want, and she had blue eye or no green eyes, blonde hair, thin, and her husband was gorgeous. I'm like, dude, I want that, I want that, and you know this woman would tell me. She just thought I was wonderful to this day. She still thinks I'm this awesome woman. And she would tell me to look in the mirror and tell yourself you're beautiful. And she would, we worked, so we started working the steps. And I just kept going back to that meeting. And I'll, I'll speed it up a little bit. I went back to that meeting, went back to the meeting, and I stopped purging. Um, and I, I started opening the big book. I, I went to a bunch of different meetings. But in Orange County, they had a lot of meetings back then. Um, and then she got pregnant, and I, I switched sponsors. And my next sponsor basically would um, – would she taught me things differently because she was a double winner. So she taught me a lot more about the big book. And I had – I would open the big book, and I would learn that I have a physical malady. I have a mental obsession. And I, I could not figure out why I couldn't put down – I could put down the – now, for me, let me backtrack and say – my, my binging and purging, if I would eat an apple, I'd have to vomit that apple. If I would eat a meal, a regular meal that a normie would eat, I would have to purge it. I could not keep food down. I was too scared. And at UCI, they have great bathrooms. Um, and I, but you know, I was in, <laughs> at UCI, I was on the academic probation every, like I'd be okay for three months, and then I'd be on academic probation, okay for three months. And I would be on academic probation. I finally got abstinent from my bulimia. And the reason I got abstinent was, one, I could not leave the meetings. I kept coming back because all my best friends were in the meetings. I met all my best friends. These women were in my wedding. Who else to hang out with? And at the time, we would go out and we'd party after the meeting. Um, And I, um, I remember working my steps with my second sponsor. She'd worked my steps with me, and she worked my with me. I worked um, the traditions with her. And I'm thinking I'm doing good. I'm off, I'm working this cool job, I'm making money, I'm dating this really cool Indian guy. Um, and then I got further away from the steps. And I got further, I hang out with my lady, my girlfriends, but my, the steps were becoming, because I did that, I'm done. I'm, I mean, yeah, I'm coming to program, I'm good. But the further away I got to from that, and the further my, my pride grew, my ego, myself, um, it was all about Annie, Annie, Annie. And discovering, like, all these different, <laughs> different like, ooh, I can do this because, you know, I'm with this guy and I'm okay. I was okay. So what happened was I dated the, I, the guy thing went away, thank God. Um, and I, what happened? And then I went into, for me, bottom line for me is the more I go away from working my steps, the more I go away to knowing that you, I am powerless over food, people, places, and things. And my life is becoming manageable. When I'm in this stuff, I'm not going to be sane and abstinent. Um, so then I moved to Orange to from Orange County to Corona, and I met my. Okay, so I'll backtrack and say I I had abstinence for eight years. I mean, I went to my meeting and oh, sorry, let me backtrack. My my one sponsor said, "Okay, honey, you keep relapsing. You need to go to 90 meetings in 90 days." And at the time, I was doing my master's degree, and I did. So I did two master's degrees, worked full-time, and did 90 meetings in 90 days. And I'm telling you right now, those were the happiest days. I dug it. I, I, was, it was my, I was the most healthiest in the sense that I was really going with it. Now, 
then I met the man I was going to marry, and I did like duty date him because you know I like the got bad guys. And the 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 then then in came another person in my home, so that brought food into my home that I wasn't comfortable with. And at that time, I didn't have problems with sugar. The the food for me, my bottom line abstinence has always been the bulimia. So. <laughs> Then comes him, and then relationships. Like I had to be, I had to suit up and show up. And I'd all, all my past is suit up, show up, do not throw up. Now I had to suit up and show up and be kind to this other person in my home. Um, and then the resentments came, and all of those yucky, really grown up yucky stuff. So I go back, and I work the, and I'm working the big book. I'm working my steps with my sponsor. But as my relationship grew with my husband, I joined. I was in another program. I got away from my my recovery. And I relapsed after eight years. I was devastated after that. And once again, I was shown that I was away from the steps. I was away from, I wasn't congruent in what I was supposed to be doing. I just kind of went with life. And God bless me. I'm okay. That's my path. And my sponsor told me, well, when I would relapse, she would say, well, I guess you need more um, research. Because I, you're not quite hitting your bottom yet. So I moved to Corona. I tried to get abstinent. I get out. I found a new sponsor. We started meetings because there was no meetings in Corona. So she said to me, my sponsor said to me, "Go and grow. Go to go to this new place and start your meetings. Get your recovery. You are your recovery. You take your recovery with you." So I went, and we started these meetings. And I was trying to get pregnant, and I gained a tremendous amount of weight because in all of this, I got ill. My dad died, and and with my dad dying, and with this program, I had to, got to say my amends to my dad. I got to say amen to my mother for paying for everything I asked for. My brother is now in program. My brother, because I stayed in program, uh, not because of me, but I, I said to him one day, are you going to meetings? Because he thought he was sober. No. And, and, and I, it was neat because I got to see my brother three years in program. I get to see my nephew th- two years off of heroin. I get to, like, it, it's because I stayed in program, and I stayed true to the only thing I've ever done perfect is stay in here. So I, there was a thought I was going to go with there. But, um, oh, I gained a lot of weight. And for a bulimic, for me, my bulimic mind, I was horrible. I was gross. I was, yuck. Um, and all I could do was keep coming to my meetings, sit my butt in that chair. And um, because I was bulimic, I only thought I was bulimic. I'm a compulsive overeater. I have physical... Like, I touch certain foods, and they go into my body, and I will want more of that food. I wasn't used to that. It took me a long time to realize, you are a compulsive overeater. The way you deal with the compulsive overeating is to restrict, overexercise, and purge. Today, I, um, I don't get to as many meetings because we don't have many meetings in our area. However, I listen to podcasts. I work my I, – I open my book. I get down on my knees. Well, not so much, but I – can't because the bed's going to be higher than me. I make my bed every morning. I say the, my morning prayer. And the reason I brought my book or this little thing was I say my, you know, I say the third step prayer. I get this in the morning. I say my third step prayer and I say, God, please direct my, uh, my thinking, especially divorce it from self-pity, dishonest, and self-seeking motives. And then as we go through our, this day and face a decision, please give us inspiration and intuitive thought or a decision. Make us relax and take it easy. Don't let us struggle. Make us rely upon this inspiration, intuitive thoughts, and decisions derived from you instead of our old ideas. And, 
it goes on. But, you know, saying my third step prayers on the way to work, saying my seventh step prayer, being kind to my daughter, being accountable to my daughter when I'm yelling and screaming at her and I look at her and I said, baby girl, I am so sorry. Mama was not in a good place. I'm sorry I did that. I'll close up in a second. Today my life is I have 10 years of um, recovery from the bulimia. My path of my eat, my food plan, my food plan is to not eat certain foods anymore. Now, my bottom line abstinence is the bulimia. I don't pur- binge, I don't purge, but I don't put certain foods in my body. I'm working with that a lot better now. As I'm hitting, going into my 50s, of course, my body's changed. Um, and I realize that <laughs> I'm going into my 50s. My body's changed, whereas um, it's okay to be this size. Now, could I be a size... Or smaller, too small? Probably. Do I wear mediums and smalls? Yes. Do I wear size eights? Yes. Could I be a size four? Probably. But do how important is it? As I just need to be sane for this this second, for this time, just to be suiting up to show up for my daughter, for my job, for my husband, for my mother-in-law, and I take care of my mother now. And um, if I was in the disease, if I was binging and purging and not making this my number one priority. I would not have the life I have today. I married a man who does not drink, who does not hit me, who does not abuse me, who loves me unconditionally, whether I'm 50 pounds heavier than this or if I'm, you know, maybe 20 pounds. It doesn't matter. He loves Annie for Annie. And that, to me, is awesome. So with that, um, I know I had so much more to tell you, but my time's up. So here we go. Thank you. You're both amazing. Now for a senior moment. <laughs> I may drift away here. But, uh, my name is Dave. I'm a compulsive reader. And I am 73 years old. My blood pressure last week was 105 over 51, and my pulse was 51. And, my, and I don't have diabetes or any of that stuff because of Overeaters Anonymous. I'm alive today. I'm 73 today because of Overeaters Anonymous, no doubt in my mind. Because uh, I was born, uh, my name was Robert Lee Henderson. My father's name was William Henderson. He was in the United States Navy, honorably served, I'm sure. Never met the man. My mother's name was Mamie Elizio. I was born in Oakland, California. Second child born out of wedlock in the family. And I was taken to an orphanage. And uh, Dorothy Elizabeth Burge and Albert Edwin Burge adopted me when I was around two years old. And I think they fought until I was 15, separated several times, and finally divorced. And uh, being an adopted child is an amazing thing. I've had to go back. It says we sweep the searchlight through our lives. And I I, I read that in the big book, and I, I, I started to do that, you know, to find out wanted to find out what the hell is wrong with me, you know. Why do I feel different than everybody, you know. Why do I have to excel at everything all my life just to be even with you, you know. I have to be the best at everything, or try to be, just, and I still don't feel like I deserve to be in Overeaters Anonymous when, you know, I came in, you know. And I felt like I was the worst overeater in the world. I weighed over, when I got here, I, I weighed over 300 pounds, uh, just to shorten it up, I t- I I got involved in the diet. You know, not every diet. I wasn't a big dieter, uh, 
and because I used to, my attitude was, I'm just fat, dumb, stupid, and ugly, ha, ha, ha. And I came in the room that way, and people would correct me and say, no, Dave, you're a child of God, you're wonderful. Uh, that's a terrible affirmation, you know. And, uh, and, and so uh, a doctor from Kaiser Permanente sent me here, uh, and uh, I'd lost weight before on uh, the shots and pills, and I went back, I was living in Los, here in Los Angeles, uh, not in this nice area, but in Los Angeles. And so, <laughs> nothing wrong in Los Angeles. Actually, it was Arcadia, which was a very nice area. And and I worked for a man that was obese, and he sent me to, you know, he, he, he knew that I needed to go see Dr. Stanley Z. Gilbert in Azusa and get the pills and shots, and, and it was it was wonderful, you know. And I lost weight, and I could eat anything I wanted to. But then in a couple of weeks, I went back to see Dr. Gilbert. I said, you know, I'm starting to get hungry again. He said, well, take two pills before each meal. He got up to six pills, and then I couldn't sleep. And I ran the boss's car off into ice plant, and it's a, that's another story. Uh, and I went down to see my mother, and I weighed 190 pounds. And I walked in there, and they bought me some new clothes. And my, I, I expected, uh, you know, to her to be impressed. You know, She said, how did you lose all the weight, Sonny? I said, Oh, I take these pills here, and I go see the doctor, and he gives me a shot. She goes, "You know, that's not good for you." And I, I thought be, I felt betrayed by my mother, and not very supported. And although you know your mother's always right, you know, mother was right. So, uh, and then I went to the bowling alley that I hung out with when I was a teenager, and uh, and there was a girl there named Judy Radinsky. I thought she was the most beautiful girl in the world, but I was afraid to talk to her because I, who, why would she want to? anything to do with a big fat guy, you know. And she saw me, and she ran up and threw her arms around me and says, Dave Burge, you, you're just the handsomest man I've ever seen, or something like that. <laughs> so I did every, the only thing I knew how to do is I went to the 7-Eleven, which was called the Speedy Mart in those days for you older people, and uh, got something to eat, you know, and I kept on, you know. So what else could I do, you know. Because uh, I'm, a, I'm a typical male, and uh, I wouldn't know if, Feeling if it hit me in the windshield, you know that, that's what my that's what my sponsor told me, and you know, he, he was right. And you know, women, I think women in the program taught me about feelings, you know, because I didn't know what what they were. I, you know, I'd say, "How do you feel, Dave?" I just feel bad. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So, uh, not to get off track, but uh, I got here. Uh, I got in the program uh, because the doctor sent me here. Like I said. And, and I went to her initially in the 70s because I heard about the stomach bypass surgery, and I wanted it. I, and I, my argument was I pay $62 a month for health insurance. I want that surgery because there's you know, something wrong with me. I must be crazy. All I do is think about food. All I talk to my wife about dinner at breakfast time while I'm eating breakfast. You know, It's not normal. And she said, well, and she had the clinical smile, you know. How are you? And, uh, and, and she's a nice lady. I'm making fun of her, but she was a nice lady. And and I, she would say, "Why don't you try the fish tacos?" But <laughs> use a little willpower, you know. She's trying to be helpful. And she, so she said, "I said, well, I think I'm crazy. I really, I really felt there's just something wrong with me." She says, "Well, I said, can I? Can you refer me to a psychiatrist or something?" And she said, "No, I think you just need." A support group, and I only know of two: Weight Watchers and Overeaters Anonymous. And I don't know much about them. But I know that Weight Watchers cost money, and Overeaters Anonymous doesn't. So that's how I got here. 
That's the truth. And uh, I went to my first meeting, and, and uh, a lady named Ida was leading the meeting, and she was a very thin, trim woman, and I didn't like her at all. You know, I had, you know, I had some superlatives for her, but I won't, there's ladies present, so I won't say what I thought. And, uh, and they, she passed around these pictures of this, or they passed around the pictures of this woman that weighed 322 pounds. And I probably, rude, I know I rudely said to the lady sitting next to me, he says, why are you showing me pictures of this fat woman? And she says, that's the leader. I immediately became Ida's friend. I, I, she didn't drive. I took her everywhere to meetings and everything. I wanted what she had, of course, you know. And so they said, uh, you know, in, in, 19, in August 17, 1976 was the day I came to Overeaters Anonymous. And I and they had the gray sheet food plan, and they had uh, and and you and so they said, I, you know, I'm a mechanic, so I followed the I have instruction manual you follow, you know, so I'm going to follow the instructions, you know. That was the, my instructions that I wanted was to, get, to, you know, go lose weight and get the hell out of here, you know, because the stigma, I had the stigma, you know, I ashamed, ashamed of, of myself because I had the disease and because I had to go to Overeaters Anonymous, you know. It's terrible for a man, you know. It's okay for women, but men, you know, have a lot of pride. It's tough on us. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, you know, they said, uh, go on the food plan, three meals a day, nothing in between, the coffee, tea, low-calorie drinks, call three people every day, call your food in one day at a time, you know. And I told the lady when I came there, I said, I have 130 pounds to lose. And she said, she gave me the answer. She says, you do it one day at a time. I didn't get it. I, I honest to God, I said, I don't understand that. So I was abstinent, you know, there's a lot of people here, a lot of friends in the room here, so I can't lie. I was really great. I was had my way to 10 years, you know, I was speaking, I leading retreats, I was on the, you know, I, I did whatever they tell me to do, you know, and because uh, I wanted what some of you guys had in here that I've known for all those times. And I saw you doing it, so I said, well, I'm going to do what they do, you know. And I didn't like doing it, but I did it, you know, and so it worked, you know. But then 10 years later, uh, during that time, uh, my wife divorced me, because, and, my, and I told somebody that today, they didn't believe me. That my divorce paper said, respondent suffered severe per personality change as a result of involvement in the program of Overeaters Anonymous. <laughs> That's almost verbatim. My sponsor was in our apartment. I, got, I, got, you know, I had to leave the home and the two cars and the two toasters and all that other stuff you have. And, and I... I I moved in with this guy that that came from AA to the meeting. I didn't like the guy, and I sent him off to lead a meeting because I figured he wouldn't do it, and he did it, and the lady called me up and said, hey, it was great, and he bought us all coffee, and thank you, you know. So I thought, well, this guy's really serious. Well, we just ended, we just got together, and I think it was divine appointment because he gave me the program, you know. He sat down with me and helped me write and, and do all those things, and I did the best I could. To, to get the spiritual, but I just was in so much pain, I just couldn't probably pay attention that much. So I think for the first 10 years, I looked back, I went through the motions, you know. And then uh, I would, I, you know, when you're, I, I don't know, everybody probably has, has loneliness problems, but I just have always been a lonely guy, you know. And I met my, the, a, a girl, a woman, grown woman, that I went to school with when I was a little boy. You know, and I hadn't seen her in 30 years because my mother moved, you know, we moved away. And then my mother moved back up there. I go visit my mother 
And my mother said, well, I never told you about Patty because she had all those children. You know, your mother protects you. So we always liked each other when we were kids. So I've got to get through this. So we got, we got together, and we ended up getting married, and she, was, she had a little alcohol problem. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, and so, man, I just didn't, I didn't know what to do about that. So, and she didn't like me going to OA either. And she didn't like me going to the youth program I was helping out with, you know. And uh, so, you know, being, uh, and I call myself a weak male because that's exactly what I found out about myself. I didn't know, I, I, I was always felt inferior and everything, but there was a lot to that that I didn't understand. And so somebody recommended a long time ago <laughs> that knew me better than I did, said, you know, Dave, you need a big dose of Al-Anon. Yeah. And I said, I'm not going to Al-Anon, you know. And uh, so, uh, you know, I, I just other uh, the lash of the, the pain of the whole thing, I just ended up reluctantly <clears throat> going to Al-Anon meeting. And I went in there and told a lady, that it's an old timer, and they're, and they're they're happy and laughing and everything. It's just disgusting, you know. <laughs> they didn't understand the pain I'm in, and I said, I, I came here to find out how to get a divorce. This woman's ruining my life, and I'll just shorten it up. I stayed long enough to find out that I was ruining my life. So I got a sponsor in there, and uh, I learned to to stand up for myself to some degree. And I I told my wife I'm going to meetings got to take care of myself I can't eat all the baked goods and everything you know and not your fault you know and I tried I tried to tried is the word to get back into OA I never stopped going to meetings but I sat in the way in the back and kind of hid and I was resentful because nobody nobody talked to me you know and I didn't talk to anybody else you know because I was ashamed the shame is incredible you know and getting through that you know and and you know finally I started going to retreats again, <clears throat> and uh, somebody yeah, and I went to the, see this retreat leader. How, how am I doing on time? You got two minutes and thirty seconds plus five. Wow! It's going to go off in two minutes. So you got five minutes. Oh, okay. So I, there was a guy that used to lead retreats, and I loved him. And he's the first one that said at a, at a retreat that I heard. Maybe ever other people heard it, but he said, you know, the whole idea of this program is to find a higher power that can remove your food obsession. And it's right here in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which I didn't want to read because I wasn't an alcoholic, you know. So he got me to read that book. Well, he had terrible asthma problem. He ended up in the hospital down there in San Diego. And I went to see Bill to say, how am I going to get over this relapse? And I just knew that he'd have the right answer that would take me out the door, and I'd be just great. Instead, he told me, you know, Dave, your relapse is part of your recovery. That's part of your journey, you know. Well, that helped me get away from the shame of it, you know. To, and, and, and he said, you have to start from where you're at and leave all that shit behind you. I believe that's true today, you know. And I know a lot of people that have had the same problem. I, I sponsor a lot of people. And they have the same problem I did. So, uh Anyway, I, uh, let's see where I was at. So uh, what happened to me was I got back one day at a time. That's the way I look at it, as I look at it. And uh, 
I, I started, a, I, I knew I needed to go to a step study meeting. I needed to work the steps, but I just was so grandiose that I, you know, didn't think I could do it on my own or wanted to. So <laughs> I started a step study meeting, you know, because I needed it. It's still going, you know, it's a great meeting. And, uh, and then the guys came around and said, why don't you help us start a men's meeting? You know, I thought that would really be good for me, you know. And so I, I helped them start a men's meeting. It's still going, too. I still go to it. It's my home meetings. So, uh, uh, and then somebody came up. <laughs> I weighed 286 pounds, and they said, you know, we don't have an intergroup chair. Would you be our intergroup chair? You were the intergroup chair before. I said, are you nuts? You know, I can't be the intergroup chair. But I can do the soda machine service, you know. Very humbling to do the soda machine service because some lady comes up and says, I lost a dime in there. What are you going to do about it? You know, and I, I'm, going, I'm going to give you a dime. <laughs> there you go, there you go. So, so uh, <laughs> that really happened, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, and, you know, today... Uh, I took some notes because I, you know, the, the God, this, the, you guys reminded me of so much stuff. Uh, what I do today through prayer, because I don't want to stop doing stuff. I, I'm powerless, you know. I think of chapter 5, you know. Uh, uh, no human power can remove my overeating, but God could and would if he were sought. And uh, I, after all the step study meetings, I've, I've, this word kept coming up that I didn't know the meaning of, and it was Grace. Uh, you know, and so I thought, well, that's a religious word. You know, I don't know what that means. So I looked it up in dictionary. You know, I remember what Dottie Shore said at a retreat. She says, it's a free, unmerited, and a gift from God. You don't earn it. It's a gift. You have to receive it, you know. And then Terry F. said something at a meeting. People say incredible things at a meeting that I never forget, you know. And he said he was driving by a church, and it said on the, on the you know, Christian church, and it said, salvation is received not achieved. And he thought, gee, that's like our program. So he took the word salvation out and he put abstinence in there. So abstinence is received, not achieved. Why? By the grace of God, our, our book says we recovered, you know, we, you know, we, the tyrant alcohol came before the grace of God, you know, so that's what happened to me, you know. The, I, I, had to, I had to let go of the food and, 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 and have enough faith to receive his grace, which is available to me, which I have today. Today, all I have is today. Today, I, I don't have the food obsession. And, and it's because people accepted me back to OA. They never rejected me. I did that myself, you know. But uh, I want to see what else. So, you know, and then along the way, what I found out for me was I've always been a grandiose ascender. A lot of us men are that way. And, and we don't, we look down in here and we don't see anything. It's, it's, we don't know what we feel. Women know a lot about that, about, they have all kinds of feelings for us, you know, to tell us about, and, you know, but we don't, you know, a lot of us are just empty down here. We just, you know, so we live lives of quiet desperation, you know. And I started reading more books when I discovered I wasn't stupid. And, and, uh, one of the things I heard that's true about me is, you know, I believe for me is life is a cycle of pain, growth, and joy. And I can't seem to get through one without going through the other. And, and joy is wonderful, but I can't skip those other things. When my wife died in 2014, 
And I always eulogize her by saying, I'm so proud of Pat because she was five years, almost five years sober, and she earned her sobriety. And not only was she a sober AA member, but she sobered a man up next door that I was deathly afraid of because he was very angry. And she had the courage to go tell Anthony, I'm taking you to an AA meeting. You know? And I say that every time because that's a way of making amends to my wife for all the judgment I had about her being an alcoholic. Because I was, I'm really proud of Pat, you know, to this day. And I learned, she taught me about grief, which I didn't know anything about, I realized, you know. And I learned to grieve from her. And it helped me. It helped me to cry. I needed to cry. And then, and then she helped me with my dog passing a, a year later, who I love. Everybody loves their dog if they have a dog. So, you know, I can feel things and I can grieve, but I don't have to eat over none of that stuff. And for, to me, I've been through a lot of stuff, you know. And because I went through that, I have a wonderful partner that brings me a ton of joy. And that's from God. That's, I tell her that all the time. You're, you're a gift from God. I really believe that. Because I thought after my wife died, you know, I'm just an old guy, 70 years old, you know, who wants to fool around with me, you know. I'm not going <laughs> to. Somebody said, Dave, you need to go on one of those dating sites, you know, something.com. They all all kinds of them, you know, and get a get you a woman. I said, yeah, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to live. I'm going to go to meetings. That's fine. I'm going to go to meetings. I have a lot of friends. I mean, this program is wonderful, you know. By the way, there's no losers in here. There's winners and learners. There's no losers. And I've, I've had a, to do a lot of learning, and I, today I'm winning because of folks like you. Thank you. Thank you, both of you. Thank you. Um, okay, it's time for the ask it basket questions. Um, there's, I've separated them. Does anybody else want to have the ask it basket? I'll, I'll, if you could just pass it on. Um, I'll let Cindy go first, and she has like five five questions. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm Cindy, composer of Eater. I'm kind of scared. I don't know what they were. I know, right? Okay. When you relapsed, what made you come back and become abstinent again? Great question. Um, well, I actually never left the program, so that's something that has been an amazing miracle, too. Um, so I relapsed in the rooms, which in a sense is actually worse, because then you have all the information. <laughs> you know, like, if you if you just leave, it's a, you can kind of pretend like this doesn't exist, and there's nothing more painful in my experience than, you know, a belly full of food and a head full of program, and... Um, and I gained so much knowledge that, like, it got to a point where this program really ruins your eating. Like, if you stay, it really ruins your eating. Like, I would seriously be in the middle of a binge and be, like, shoving the food in my mouth. And then, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. You know? I'm not even kidding. <laughs> and then, like, I'd be eating and then trying to shut it off. And, like, those who do not recover, those who... You know, and it's <laughs> this pro is like 
you can like stand up here and not, not even mean to be funny and everyone thinks you're hilarious here this is like the <laughs> best program ever um so really what made me what made me what it really was that made me get absent this time around is what I always tell people is that my eating became more painful to me than whatever it was I was trying to cover up with food so that's really I had to get to the point where I was completely desperate and where it really literally hurt me more to eat and it really did it hurt me more to eat and know that there is something better because once you taste abstinence there's no going back like even if you do go back physically there's no going back mentally you know like it's just not possible so i really just got to that point where you know it just it hurt me more to continue eating than it did to not and then i became willing to stop and stay stopped and that's pretty much um, it. Do you want to take one? Or do you want to? Oh. oh, I see. Click, click in my head. Okay. <laughs> okay, and then I'll, I'll pass it on. Um, you know what? My name's Annie again, still. Uh, what were you thinking before your, you relapse? And for me, I, um, I, I re, you relapse before you even relapse, if that makes sense. So I... The minute I touched food that I know I didn't have need, it was none of my, it was not mine to touch. Like my husband's really good French fries or my daughter's whatever snack she's got going on. It's not mine. It's theirs. That's that's when I know I've. I, I mean I I've come to know that. Oops, need to go back and call my sponsor. Get get to writing. But what I'm thinking for me um, is that. I, <laughs> It's my disease thinking. It's my disease thought. My disease saying, like in you're right, Cindy. It's where you know the the, um, the you know the the thinking of okay, you call a call a sponsor, call uh, do a tool, work a tool. Like all of those thoughts are in my head, but my better thinking says, no, you can have that one bite. No, you can go over there and celebrate with these gals that are going to have a buffet because I. You could do that, but then my for me because I always re- relapsed with my vomiting or with my vomiting with my bulimia. I thought I was fine with one meal, and then I'd be in the toilet going, "What in the world just happened?" So my always my thinking has always been, "I know better. I I can do this." My thinking was always pride and ego. So, do you want to address this one, or do you? Dave, compulsive overeater. What, what always comes to me is it's like the thinking comes before the drinking. Right. Yeah, that, I, I agree with that. And, and uh, I always think about the, the chapter three in the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, where it says over con- any considerable period of time, I'll consider myself not an overeater. That's the way I am. I'm still that way. That, that little voice is still in there that says, you know, Dave, frozen yogurt would be nice right now. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I think we would all agree to that one. <laughs> um, I'm Cindy, compulsive reader again. Um, still, always. Um, what things do you do to combat the food thoughts when they come on strong, when the obsession to food is overwhelming? Well, 
Honestly, in the time that I've been abstinent, I've actually experienced an entire um, psychic change. And I don't actually have those obsessive food thoughts anymore, which is a miracle. Um, in the past, I would eat. I mean, that's why I realized. I mean, that's not a good answer. I'm going to get to the real recovery answer soon. But, I mean, that's what I did. You know, I would eat and... Um, until, like I said, until I became where it was just too painful to eat, I always ate. And when it finally became too painful to eat and the food thoughts, of course, in the beginning came on, I worked the tools. I did, I used every tool. I did everything that I could possibly do other than pick up the food, you know, because um, it is overwhelming. And the obsession, this disease is, well, I've heard people say many times that it's a disease that tells me I don't have a disease, but I've always known that I have a disease. I've never felt like I'm not one of us ever. But what I have felt is that when I'm in the place of obsessive compulsive eating, that's the better place to be. Like in my mind at that moment, that's the better place to be. Like you guys who are abstinent, you're really missing out. You know, that is my sick head. When I'm in the disease, that's how I kind of feel in the moment. And being in recovery on the other side of that, like I can't even imagine believing that for one second today. But years ago, I remember feeling that way, you know. And when that obsession returns, it's like there's no hope for me without a higher power. There's no hope for me without you guys. So the best thing I could say is just do whatever somebody tells you, you know, whether that's your sponsor, whether that's a fellow, um, the phone calls, you know, five people, 10 people, whatever you have to do. I remember reading a meditation that someone was told, you know, whatever you do, if that doesn't work, double it. And if that doesn't work, double that and just do whatever you have to do before picking up that first bite, you know, um, call someone in the middle of the night, text someone in the middle of the night. I've, um, listened to podcasts, listened to meetings, um, you know, go to me, bother somebody, you know, don't be afraid to, because I've had people call me and they think they're bothering me. And I, it, it is like an amazing thing to be bothered by somebody in this program, you know? I wanted to add to this, that, you know, the recovery, wait, what was I going to say? Food was, hold on. Okay, so for me, once I did the steps exactly as they were laid out, the food and the purging subsided. And that, that was a big one for me, especially when I was in, in the relapse. And, and edging God out, my ego, always edging God out. I always thought I knew more than my higher power. I knew more than my sponsor. I knew more than my girlfriend that I just called. But, but, but. It was always but. But you don't understand. No, that's not quite it. And I would get off the phone and I would do what I wanted to do anyway because I was that prideful, self, you know, self-serving egotistical little Annie because Annie knew best and that what Annie forgot was that God's in charge and while I called you guys God was speaking through you but I was I would just shut that out because I didn't want to hear the truth so um when it says what was the key to your recovery from relapse I forgot to (laughs) read the question first um for me, when my sponsor would say, okay, you're in, I would call her up and I'd say, gosh, you know, I just can't get it. I just, I purged again. I purged again. Um, she would 
pick up that step? Where are you at that step? You mean I don't have to start over? No, Annie, go to that step where we left off and continue on. And I would think, no, that's not going to work, but okay. The, and, it, you know, I would do a line or two, and then I would go binge and purge, and I'd come back and do, that didn't sound good, did it? Do a line or two. <laughs> <laughs> I would write a little bit, and then I'd come back and, and call her up and say, I did some writing. And, it, and you know, she, I'd have this, my other, my, one of my current sponsor would sit me down, read the big book with me, and I would sit there in full depression because my head was, I can't have a baby. I can't have a baby. I had fertility problems. I can't have a baby. I can't have a baby. That's all I could think about. And it wasn't until I got to the point where she just kept working. I just kept suiting up and showing up. That's all I kept. That was my key is I kept suiting up and showing up. And and eventually, God just snuck in. I he, I just he did. So, you, would you like to address this one? What was the key to your recovery from relapse? Oh, I guess you don't need that. Huh? I don't need that. <laughs> Dave Capelswell Reader. I sit here and listen, and I I think, and it's hard to. It, it's I'm really kind of nervous about saying this, but somebody told me, you know, said, look, you have the gray sheet guilt to beat all hell, and it's because you're a perfectionist. And I said, how can I be a perfectionist when I don't feel good about myself? But I, I am. I'm a perfectionist. And I still am. And uh, I learned that a long time ago. And so somebody said to me, and, and I, the OA police will come here and handcuff me probably, but <laughs> somebody said, Dave, why don't you try to be 90% accurate with your food? And get off your case. Just try that. And that, that worked for me because it got me to cut the thing in half and eat half of it and, and eat uh, an apple instead of something else. And, uh, it, it, I mean, I felt a bunch of shame doing that, but, you know, I talking to people and writing about it, and it, it works, you know, because I know a lot of people just, you know, they call me up and say, you know, I ate this, you know. I said, well... Start to start right now, you know, and maybe you know somebody said I I, I shouldn't talk. I hope it doesn't bother people to talk about food, but I I used to go in the AMPM and buy all the corn dogs they had, you know, and and a, a guy in the program was trying to help me. He says, "Well, why don't you just do it three times a day instead of all day long?" You know, <laughs> start from there, you know. So I mean, that sounds crazy, but sometimes that works. You know, I've seen it work for people. You know. Okay. <laughs> How did you learn to love yourself before you got to your goal weight? Well, I'm not actually at my goal weight, but thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, still working on it, but, you know, I, I guess just from working this program, I mean, I never, I never hated myself. I hear a lot of people talk about how they hated themselves, but I was more like neutral with myself. Like I didn't particular, I didn't think, I didn't think about myself where like I, I despise me all day long, but I didn't particularly like myself either. Um, and today, with all the work that I've done in this program, I really, I really have a good sense of who I am. Um, I can tell you what my assets are. I can tell you what my defects are. You know, I, um, it's kind of funny because my, my partner, like, 
kind of makes fun of me. She's like, you don't need to go to the body image workshop. You think you're pretty great. You know? <laughs> um, I mean, she like jokes with me, but I do have a pretty good self-esteem, but it's only because of this program, you know, and I work on, and I also have body dysmorphia. I think I'm huge still, you know, and, and then, and then sometimes I think I'm like a size two and a half. You know, I'll like stand in the mirror and be like, okay, right here, I look really skinny, you know, and then I turn and then it's like 300 pounder, you know, so it's all a mental thing. But um, all in all, I mean, I I like who I am today and that's from my higher power and um, my higher power is love, you know, Um, I've had a lot of things, I know the last question was about... um, my concept of a higher power and it's changed over time. But today I think of my higher power as just love. Anything that comes from love comes from my higher power, you know, and, and, um, the love that I have for myself today, which is a miracle that I feel any sense of love for myself. I can look at myself and smile because I do love who I am, um, inside, you know, mostly, um, I'm a caring person because of this program. So thanks. Okay. We have two more questions, though, so I'm in a conundrum. What, what do I do? Uh, you want to do quick answers? How do you practice rigorous honesty with, spon- with your sponsor when it comes to taking certain foods back or changing bottom lines of your plan of eating? Um, you just do. Um, my, I'm Annie. I'll I'll answer it the way I I know. As I as I was saying, as I was saying earlier, I yes I was bulimic. Um, I am bulimic, and I after a while, you know, your, my road got narrower of what foods I could eat. And so when I first moved to Corona, I said I don't need to. I can eat sugar, and my sponsor says no, you can't. I said no, 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 that you can't. I can, because I come from Orange County. We eat sugar. <laughs> I mean, my my sponsors eat sugar. <laughs> Because they're still my sponsors, you know. Um, but it, it took me so long to actually uh, hear what she was saying. And, you know, I, I would get off the sugar. I would go back on the sugar. I'd get back on the, off the sugar. And it wasn't until, to be honest with you, just recently when I realized my alcoholic foods. And I found a sponsor that would say that I said, here's my foods. This is what I'm doing. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, um, but I had some bread. And she's like, oh, interesting, interesting. But I had to be honest with her and say, because bread wasn't on my, and white flour wasn't on my food plan. So for me, um, when, it say, when it says honesty, practicing rigorous honesty, for me, yes, my, my, the food person on the other end of the texting is there, but my higher power, I need to be accountable to my higher power. And that, you know, that takes getting down on my knees and asking God, is this you know, for your, his will today. And when he gives me, when, when I can, when I get silent, when I get really silent and I know that bread or whatever I'm eating that's, that I've already committed not to having and I have that and I'm wanting to take it back, I know what's right because I've been in and I know that you just know in your gut. See, when I put that food in my body, I'm not nice to my daughter. I'm grumpy with my husband. I'm not as patient with my mama. Um, I'm not as... I, and then I get into my fear mode when I'm at work, like nobody likes me. And it's not because I eat in that certain food, but it's because I'm not being true to myself. Would anybody? Okay. And then the next one, you okay with that? Um, how long were you in relapse and are you abstinent now? For myself, 
I was in, I was had an eight year relapse. I, excuse me. I had an eight year recovery and then I relapsed when I got married. <laughs> that didn't bode well. And then I had a two year recovery and then I relapsed in the another two-year recovery, and then I relapsed. And every single time, I was not working my program. I came to my meetings. I sat down. I started meetings. I served intergroup. I was region, I mean, I was intergroup, step five. No, uh, tradition, you know, fifth tradition chair. I did all of that, but I was not abstinent. And But all I know is that I kept coming back. I, that's the only thing I've ever done perfectly. I kept coming back. Um, so for me now, I'm almost at, a, well, I'm 10 and a half years uh, uh absent from the bulimia and I'm, I don't know, six months from the sugar or so. Would you like? Okay. It's okay. Okay. So with that being said, um, let's, anybody, let's go ahead and close up the meeting. Thank you. Oh my God, where is it? I don't know where it is. Okay. So we're going to close the meeting with, oh God, here it is. Okay. It is now time to close the session. Please stand and join hands, as you already are doing, <laughs> as we close with... Um, oh, here. Here, hold my... Go ahead. Um, God, <laughs> I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may... Be- <laughs> that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Amen. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. You're really, really worth it. Okay, thanks. You can't